Amen. And thank you, worship team. This morning, as, we've, as has already been mentioned, we are starting a new series. I, I call it the spring. I'm in sort of the, the school year mentality. I know it's winter, but this is our spring series. Did you all start your spring semester? Okay, then it's our spring. No? Oh, you did. My, my, uh, soft, my uh, freshman did. College students, you're about to start your spring semester, so we're going to start a spring series. We did the life of Joseph in the fall. We um, had our Advent series in the summer. We went through Psalms. So we're going to do a New Testament letter, <clears throat> and it's Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And it is uh, one of the things I love about being a preacher is I get to choose things that I need. And I think it's in a, a letter that I have not spent enough time in. I love so many other parts. I've read of Paul's letters. I've spent time in Philippians and Galatians that it just seemed, and actually it was Jason who challenged me. And so I thought, yeah, let's do this. So I'm looking forward to it more than anyone. Diving into this letter, uh, it was John Calvin's favorite letter where Luther loved Galatians. Calvin preached 48 sermons from Ephesians. I plan on doing a few less than that. Uh, John Knox who started Presbyterianism, a Scottish uh, reformer, uh, on his deathbed, he was also, he learned under Calvin, on his deathbed, his wife read him Calvin's sermons. Uh, so they loved this letter. And then just interestingly, I um, found out about one of the former Princeton Theological Seminary presidents back in the heyday. Princeton was a bastion of Reformed theology. And his name is John Mackay or McKay. He says, to this book, I owe my life. And he went on to explain that in July of 1903, as a 14-year-old boy, he experienced a boyish rapture in the Highland Hills and made a passionate protestation to Jesus Christ among the rocks in the starlight. In his own account, he says, I saw a new world. Everything was new. I had a new outlook, new experiences, new attitudes to other people. I loved God. Jesus Christ became the center of everything. I had been quickened. I was really alive. Now, many of us hear those stories and we wonder, can that happen to me? Can I experience Jesus in this way? And though we don't want to make the promise that you can feel his emotions, we do have the hope that he has and has. That Jesus Christ is ours and that we can come to this letter from Paul and learn from it and grow. And so my advice to all of us is that we don't just show up at our very infrequent Sunday, you know, I came about three or four of these sermons. My recommendation is that we read the book of Ephesians on our own. It takes 20 minutes. If you want to stretch it to 30 and slow down at places, maybe every week set a goal to read this letter, this uh, spring, through that, the series. Also, I would encourage you, if you can't make it to church, listen online. Uh, let's dive into this together and pray that some of the ways this has impacted other saints would impact us, that we would grow in our love and understanding that Jesus is the center of everything. With that being said, and I promise not to go 48 weeks, we're only going to cover two verses this morning. Um, I usually blow right by the greetings of letters, but this week I really wanted to just start by doing the two verses, yet kind of actually doing a flyover of the entire letter. So that's what we'll do. Uh, I'm going to read the two verses, and then we'll kind of see how they play out throughout the entire letter. So here they are, Ephesians 1, 
verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we praise you that you have sent to us, your saints, your children, this precious, precious letter, which is just so, so much hope. Lord, we are so prone to be tossed around in the waves of the sea by so many philosophies, so many headlines and um, just worldly cares, that to come back and be anchored in your word is such a privilege. But Holy Spirit, we, we need you to open our eyes, to guide us, to gently convict us where we are sleeping, to remind us of the truths, even for some of us, maybe to convert us or revive us, that we may be um, just rekindled in our belief that you are returning and we are your bride, and that we would love this world for your glory. Amen. So I've, I've talked about it before, but somewhat captivated by that Netflix show, The Social Dilemma. If you've seen it, um, raise your hand. I'd love to know who's seen The Social Dilemma. It's coming for you, the rest of you. It's about how, it's really kind of a documentary and it kind of puts some narrative and some false fiction with like people, interviews with people who kind of created the internet as we know it and social media and Facebook and all these different platforms. But what really struck me and why I'm even bringing it up is a couple of things. One, they, they, these guys or these people, men and women, left the industry or left parts of the industry because of their frustration with the manipulative, the manipulative tactics in social media. And so they felt like, for example, streaks. Even the Bible app has streaks. Like it's, it's getting dopamine release every time I log in and pretend to read a chapter of my, uh, my, my, and maybe you're really reading your Bible app. But streaks is one example. But the bigger one that got me was AI, artificial intelligence, how algorithms uh, are able to know what you're looking at and funnel to you stories. Have you ever, like, funneled through, like, a news feed and you lingered on one, like, comedian or something? And then you notice, like, the next three were that same comedian. Have you all ever had that? It's like, wow, how convenient. No. AI is like, oh, he likes Jim Gaffigan. Let's keep funneling him, that comedian. So we're being watched, and here's the effect, here's the point. I think it plays into this, this idea, if we're not careful, that how do we come to know anything? How do we come to base our reality on anything? It's really beginning to be shaken in our culture, and our world embraces that. Um, the world we live in, I think, teaches something along these lines. Your mission is to find out your true self. Like you're on a journey to discover your inner reality. Does that sound remotely correct? Whereas the scriptures teach something radically different. The scriptures teach that in our fallen condition, we need rescue. And not only when we first come to know Christ, but we need to continually be reminded of the truth of who we are in Christ every day. Because left to our own devices, not the phones, we carry those as well, but just our own processes, we will continually forget and ignore all 
of the glorious truths that are ours in Jesus Christ. And so Paul spends so much of this letter reminding us of these truths. So what we're going to do this morning is just go through three simple parts of these two verses. One, who's the source of Ephesians? Two, uh, who is the audience? And then three, what's its message? Now, that last point is going to take the rest of the series, so I'm just going to do a flyover. But uh, who is the source? Who is the audience? And who is, what is the message? So who is the source of Ephesians? Why does that even matter? Um, It matters because almost everybody in this room had the assignment like in junior high or high school where you had to write a special report, like a, a research paper. <clears throat> and then you were told, and you need to get footnotes. And you were like, what? And then, yeah, you need to get some sort of documentation that shows me where you got your information. And it only gets worse. You go into your bachelor's degree and then eventually go to master's programs and so on. Like, I remember in seminary, like, this one essay needed 60 notes, right? And I'm sure some of the academics, academics in, in the uh, room have had much more than that. But yet, when you start to understand why, because what we're, what's being said with the idea of a footnote is you did not create this idea yourself. <clears throat> you didn't just magically come up with something. It takes humility when you're writing something to say, actually, this, I was influenced here by this source, this source, and this source. And that's a really helpful thing. So it's something that we need to recapture, and I think the underlying word is truth, that there's... There is a central truth somewhere, like there's headwaters somewhere. When you see the Mississippi, you know somewhere there's that little trickle of coming off of a mountain. In fact, when we get to the armor of God, that's the first, uh, the, the belt of truth. Like it's the concept that there is ultimate reality, there is truth. And we know that truth is God. And so right there in the very beginning, we're told the source of this letter is God. Right? It says right there, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. God wants to communicate to his world, to his people. How does he do that? Well, also in that first <clears throat> part of verse 1, through Jesus Christ. Right? He sends Jesus into the world to, be, to make the invisible God visible. We're told in Colossians. He is the Logos, the divine word. He is going to come and show his people what we can't see because of our fallen condition. And how is he going to do that? Well, initially he does it with his own words, but through his apostles. And so Paul says, I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So Paul, we already heard Wilson mention earlier, was uh, also named Saul and in his pre-Christian life loved to murder people, particularly Christian people. When Stephen was being stoned, the first martyr, and I mean rocks were hitting his body. Um, I have to clarify that for some of you young people out there. And not so young people, unfortunately. The world's changing rapidly. Um, Paul is said to be observing it, sort of overseeing it. Maybe the instigator of that very martyrdom. So Paul was the only apostle to not have met Jesus in his three years on, you know, ministry on earth. He meets him after he ascends on the road to Damascus. Jesus reveals himself to Paul, and Paul continually refers to himself as one who is 
less than, one who has done more sin than the other apostles. And yet he's the one that was sent to the Gentiles and to bring them this message. He's an apostle who brings the, the message of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So we need this information. We need to know the source. Um, I'm a Mac fan. When you get a Macintosh computer, and I know I'm going to lose half of you right here. It comes with an operating system that's amazing. Now, when you order a PC, you need to then choose an operating system. If you just get the PC, and many of you, and I know Jason's one, much more knowledgeable about computers than me. They like, oh, I love to have my, you know, I can do what I want and program it. I, even Coleman's a PC guy. I didn't quite pass it on to the next. But does it come with an operating system automatically? No, don't you, like, need, to, it's Windows or Unix or, anyway, you need something to make that machine work. So the point is simply this. Forget all the technology lack I have. Um, we need information. We need something from outside to come in. We need not just information, we need an operating system. And so there is a source for that. And if we don't have that source, we really aren't very useful as humans. And so this new humanity requires God to come in and redeem and rescue. And the source is God. That's the point of, of, of point one. And let me just say this too. It's a very um, modern thing that we've gotten to the place where we don't really care about truth anymore. I heard a story the other day. A pastor has a person in his church who's walked with Christ for many years and is now stepping away from the faith. And his reason is he now does not believe Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the, of the Bible. Well, part of my thought and, and, I, and this pastor's thought was like, that's actually an admirable. Not that he's walking away from the faith, but at least he's thinking source matters. Right? Unfortunately, he got all of his information from YouTube. But um, and was not open to any other information. But I think it's, it's astonishing because most people are like, I'm not leaving because I don't think Moses did or didn't write it or Paul did. or did. I'm leaving because your truth is not my truth. And my truth is not your truth. And if you believe that, I don't want to be on the road with you. Because when I come to a red light, my truth is stop at a red light. And if your truth is go through a red light, we're in trouble. I know I'm making light of that, um, but please hear me. There is a source, there is a truth, and we need to find it. And Ephesians delivers that to us if we'll have the humility to come to it. So who is it to? If it's from Paul uh, sharing the truths of Christ as his apostle by the will of God, who is it to? And the very first uh, answer would be the Ephesians, right? Now, I don't ever want to get too technical but that's actually a debatable uh, point. If you, if you get into the realm of uh, text criticism, just so you know, Paul writes the initial letter unless he needed help because of his eyesight, but he oversees the writing of the initial letter. That's called an autograph, not like a signed baseball card, but the actual one. I believe God in his mercy doesn't let us have that autograph anymore. Because what we have are just a multitude of perfectly written or almost perfectly written transcribed manuscripts that were sent out. Why do I say that about the autograph? Because we as a species would then worship that thing. Just like if you could find a piece of the ark 
or a piece of the shroud of Turan or a piece of something like the thorns of the thorns. What do we do? We put it in a glass thing and worship it. So God wants the message to go out and he sends out these manuscripts that are copied and these manuscripts get trans, you know, copied over years. And there's a really amazing science behind it. And what we have in the Bible is like 99.9%, I'm probably, Wilson, you can correct me later. It's probably not quite there, but it sounds good. Of the original autographs. But here's one question. Why on some of the earlier ones is the word Ephesus missing? That's the question. Well, there's a lot of debates. One thought, it, but the thought is, the one I think is the most proper, is that when Paul wrote this to the Ephesians, which Ephesus was the capital of that region, the point was that it would go out to other churches almost immediately. And so it's very possible that there was an original with Ephesus in it, but some of those early ones that we have that are in existence left that spot blank so that the other churches could insert their name. Laodicea, Philippi, whatever the church's name is. Yet, later uh, manuscripts having access to the early one did put Ephesus in there because overall this is a letter to the Ephesian church. Does that make sense? So the idea is in real time, though it's to that particular church, it's equally important for these other churches to receive it as if it were to them. So why don't we just say this to the saints who are in Stillwater? Because I think that's the intent of Paul. To the saints who are in Stillwater, whether you're at Sunnybrook, Countryside, Eagle Heights, Redeemer, I'm going to forget churches. There's a lot of great churches in this town. And Grace Presbyterian Church. Saints that are in Stillwater, and, and then for us in this room, particularly at Grace Presbyterian Church, this letter is to you from Paul, sent by Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Will we take it up? Will we listen? Now, there's two other quick thoughts before we move into the third point. It's also to saints. Uh, the, the Roman Catholic world and the Greek Orthodox world have really changed our understanding of that word because what it only all it means and what it, it's profound is any of us who are Christians, any of us who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, who are redeemed, who are made new in Christ, are saints. There's not a hierarchy. So when Paul says to the saints who are in Ephesus or Grace Presbyterian Church, if you want to. Think that way to us, but of course to Ephesus, then you need to think that way. Now, what does that mean? Uh, in verse 13, Paul um, elaborates on this when he says this. When you, um, so that what you who were the first to hope in Christ Jesus might be to the praise of his glory, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's a saint. The Spirit has come on you and sealed you. And then in verse 14, chapter 1, who, the Spirit, is also the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So a saint is someone who has the Holy Spirit sealing our inheritance as we long for the return of Christ, heaven to come in. That's who it's to. But it's also, there's one more word, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So the question for all of us 
is that we fit that category. What does that mean to be faithful? In verse 15, Paul defines the faithfulness he's talking about. He says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints. There's something about the faith of this audience and whether it's a particular church or the church as he knew it at the time, he's defining it as a faith in Christ that spills over into love for all the saints. In chapter 2, verse 8, he says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Many of us will say something like, when I became a Christian, these sins fell away, or I became different. Beautiful. Please do not confuse the fruit of our salvation with the cause. You're saved by grace alone through faith. So when Paul talks about the faithful in Christ Jesus, he means those who continually understand, even if you've been a Christian for 50 years, that you're only a Christian because of the grace of Jesus Christ. That is what it means to be faithful. And we'll explore that this series. Also in chapter 3, verse 2, Paul even goes, continues with this thought of being faith, of this faithfulness saying, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. And that mystery, he goes on to explain, is the mystery of the gospel, that God would reconcile Gentiles and Jews into a new humanity, a new community going forward. And that's what we've been grafted into. So, again, who is this to? It's to this church for our purposes. It's to those in this church who are saints and are faithful. And I think all of us, um, I think, I think, I speak for all of us, believe and want that to be true of us. Is that true of you? Is that true? Do you desire Jesus more than anything? Now, I don't mean every day, every moment of the day, and maybe not even at this right now moment, but is that your heart? Have you come to that place? And might this be the moment, this season, this series, this very morning, to come back to a place where that is our heart? Lord Jesus, make that my desire. I am swayed by so many other things that seem to me to be more lovely than you. I need to come back to this truth. That's being faithful. That's who this letter is to. Because Paul's not writing this letter because everyone was killing it in their faith. He wrote this letter because they were struggling. But they were back. They showed up. They wanted the message. They wanted to follow Jesus. And here's the message in the next few minutes. Just an overview of this message that we have in our passage. Right? We have the source is Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. So the source is God who sends Jesus and Jesus who appoints Paul and other apostles. And now we have this word. We have the audience, those of us that are saints, who are faithful in Christ. And we have the message. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he elaborates on the purpose of this, mes- of this letter in verse 10 of chapter 1. He says this. It's a plan for the, fu- God has a plan for the fullness of time 
to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We pray every Sunday, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What do we mean? What we mean is we believe that God's heaven and his ways in heaven would bring flourishing right here on earth. Whereas I'm convicted of my own default Christianity that I think many of us are fed that has sort of a dichotomy. You do what you can do here, try not to screw it up too bad, and then one day, Sunday, you'll have like wings and a harp and you'll flutter around and apparently play golf for the rest of your life. And sorry, Jamie. <laughs> no, he's like, no, I won't. You, you get to play golf. I just don't think you get wings. You might get a harpsichord if that's your thing, but not everybody's playing the harp. Angie's playing the harp. We have this dichotomy that says, I'm going to do what I can here, and then one day, someday, that is happening. And though there's certain truth that one day, someday, all things will be made, un, um, all things bad will be um, made new, uh, he'll wipe away our tears, or Revelation 21. What Jesus is saying in a new, a new community is, I am bringing heaven to earth through you, through my spirit in you, not only individually as Christians and saints, but in a community for his glory. Can we buy into that idea? Can we long for that? Can we at least hope for that as we move into this letter? That yes, we want to go to heaven, and what we mean by that is we want Jesus to return and make everything new, and we will no longer struggle with sin. We long for that, but are we presently longing too for our transformation now, even while we wrestle with sin? I know I struggle with that. Where is that in our, in our letter, um, this idea of a transformed view? Well, he's, he begins by giving us right thinking. The whole first three chapters are really Paul giving us our story and reorienting our thinking to the way it really is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. It's like a, it's just this glorious, beautiful letter of truth that rolls over us as we listen in humility saying, yes, that's my story. Grace to you. Peace to you. You are redeemed and you are loved by Jesus. And then he leads into action later, right? Later, after telling us these truths, starting in chapter 4, oh, let me just actually read a few more verses of this truth of you. Just listen to these words of Paul. It's like a love poem. It's, it's, just listen to these words. Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power his spirit in your inner being. He's, do you notice he's just telling you what Jesus through his spirit is going to just do for you? So often we go, oh, how do I do that? And I just want you to pause for a minute and just receive the grace. What Paul is praying for these saints and for you and I is that the spirit would come in and strengthen you. Verse 17 of chapter 3, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, now listen, 
you might insert right there, might go out and do amazing things. Yes, but that's not what Paul says right away. Hold off on that thought. He says in verse 18 that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Who doesn't want that? See, I find myself going, okay, did I earn that? Am I doing that yet? Is that true of me yet? What will I have to do if I have that? Let, let Jesus love you. Receive his grace. Receive his mercy. We say this a lot, but the indicative what is true comes before the imperative. I think our modern Christian world inverts that. We start with imperatives, and then if you can get the imperatives working, go out and do this and that and the other, then we'll let you know you have the indicatives. Paul begins with the first half of Ephesians saying, let me tell you who you are. And then in chapter 4, there is the transition where he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of this calling with humility and gentleness and patience. And so he turns into action. Transformed view leads to transformed action. That is really, I would say, the heart of Ephesians. And what the, what the underlying goal is and what we've named the series is a transformed humanity. That we will be more fully human when we understand these truths. So at the last minute, I thought of an illustration to close. And it's the ugly duckling. Has anyone ran, read the Hans Christian Andersen version of the ugly duckling? It's interesting. We all come to these fairy tales through like Looney Tunes. Or some book at the doctor's office that's half the pages are ripped out. And yet, when you come to the Hans Christian Andersen, it's like, it can be dark. But let me just remind us of the ugly duckling. I'm not going to read you his version. But there's this duck that is, this one egg's different and he's hatched and he doesn't, or she, it can be either way, doesn't, I don't know, doesn't belong. And uh, also sees this flock of swans and is delighted and excited but cannot join them because he's too young, too ugly and cannot fly. When winter arrives, a farmer finds this ugly duckling and brings it indoors and it spends a miserable winter alone and eventually grows up this ugly duckling into this new creature, right? Not sure what it is. Not having fully matured, um, can't handle solitude anymore and goes out toward that flock again, not sure what's going to happen, and assuming death is coming because it's an angry mob of swans. Is that what you call a flock of swans, a mob, a gaggle, a kindness? Anyway, that's Longmire. They welcome and accept the swan. And he looks in the reflection in the water, and he realizes he had not been an ugly duckling but a swan all this time. And he takes to the air, and he's now a beautiful swan, spreading his gorgeous, long, large wings and taking flight with this new family. See, the message of the gospel is if you are in Christ, you're going to feel like the ugly duckling on this planet. You're going to try it. You're going to try to fit in. It's not going to work. Also, and I might just be going a little bit too far with this little uh, fairy tale, I think often you look at the church and you go, that looks dangerous. Those people scare me. But here's the reality. 
Jesus wants you to not just look at the reflection of yourself in some water. He wants you to look at the reflection of yourself through his eyes, which Ephesians gives us. Here's how God sees you. Here's what God has done for you. And more importantly, here's who God is. He is gracious and full of mercy, and he's rescued us. And as we meditate on these verses and they become in us, we, we too can take flight and become truly human for his glory. Application in five seconds. Please read Ephesians. Just on your own. It's not going to hurt you. I know how the Bible is. It's like, where would I begin? It's been a while. Just open it up. Open it up and just let Jesus love you through these words. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you bring us this truth, that you know our hearts are hardened. Lord, even as Christians, we, we doubt. We look at how other people reply, respond to us. We look at our own emotions and so many other things, and we stop looking at you. Thank you that Paul has um, been used. Thank you that your Holy Spirit has delivered this letter to our modern eyes in our own language. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have enabled your children to understand the words. Thank you that we can preach through this and teach it and meditate. And I do pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters here to read it multiple times throughout the series to chew on it. Maybe one or two would even memorize portions of it. Lord, because what we know is the truth is you. The truth is not in my fallen humanity. The truth is in our redeemed humanity, which is you, Jesus, coming from outside to us and to our very hearts through your spirit, adopting us as we will study this year. So we pray for renewal. We pray for revival. We pray for your spirit to change us. Individually, we pray for this church. Lord, we pray for all the churches in Stillwater to grow, for revival to break out, and Lord, across this nation and this world, we need you. Amen.